So I want to start with a question. How many of you set a New Year's resolution this year? Any hands? All right, some of you. The rest of you are no fun. I am a huge New Year's resolution guy. My brother and I, we compare notes. We set New Year's resolutions, daily resolutions, weekly, quarterly, you know, yearly. For a few days, the whole world is your oyster. All these things that you realize you're going to change this year about your life. All these things that you were dissatisfied about that finally are going to be made right this year. Well, it was during this process of my brother and I and our in our glee and joy about what 2020 held, that my sister uh, shared with me this information from the New York Post. Research conducted by Strava, the social network for athletes, has discovered that Saturday, January 12th, is the fateful day of New Year's resolutions. And I thought, no, that's, that's not me. I read this prior to January 12th. It is January 26th, and I'm, I'm pleased to say that, while not all, most of my resolutions have died already. 2020 is not the year. Maybe 2021, but 2020 isn't going to be the year for some of these changes. But this raises a question, and the question is, when we are dissatisfied about something in our life, how do we actually bring about change in that area? I mean, that's a worthwhile question for like fitness and all that, but For what we're talking about today, spiritual change, when we are spiritually dissatisfied with an area of our life, how do we bring about change? That's the question, or at least one of the questions we're going to be dealing with in this current sermon series that we're calling Renewed. It's all about experiencing spiritual renewal in our church, revival. And in not just the local church, but in the global church, and in our individual lives. And Pastor Keith, the first two weeks, introduced us to this theme. And in week one, he talked about what spiritual renewal actually looks like, what it has looked like throughout the history of the church. And in your bulletin at the bottom, there's sort of a summary statement of what renewal looks like. Okay? And in week two, he opened up the dialogue around, well, okay, if that's what renewal looks like, then how does that come about? And we said that renewal flows from a prayerful response to spiritual dissatisfaction. Say that again. Renewal flows from a prayerful response to spiritual dissatisfaction. We're spiritually dissatisfied about something, and we respond in a particular way that God uses to bring about renewal and revival. The question then becomes, what does that prayerful response look like? Sounds nice. But what is that prayerful response? Well, that's what we're going to be looking at the next four weeks of this series. And Keith gave us a glimpse of what it looks like. And this is kind of a verse that's going to govern this series for us. In Second Chronicles 7.14, it says this. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Those four things I've put in bold there, humble ourselves, pray, seek God's face, and turn from our wicked ways. This is what we believe God uses. They're normal spiritual practices, as Keith put in that paragraph, but they're what God uses to bring about renewal and revival. And this is what we'll be looking at. These four practices the next four weeks. Today, we're starting with this first practice of humbling ourselves. 
humble ourselves is basically the big idea. Humble yourselves, the big idea of 2 Chronicles 12. But before we jump into 2 Chronicles 12, I want us to step back a little bit uh, and give us a little bit of an overview of Chronicles. I know you guys all know Chronicles because you read it all the time. But just for your sake, uh, one moment, I just want to say, what is 2 Chronicles about? Well, 2 Chronicles and 1 Chronicles are one story. They, they were only divided because of scroll length. You couldn't combine all of it in one scroll, so they had to make a 1 Chronicles and a 2 Chronicles. And actually, the traditional Hebrew Bible lists Chronicles at the end. It's almost a way of summarizing most of the Old Testament from Adam up through basically the return of exile, from exile for the, the Israelite people. Now, it tells a story of promises from God and of people's faithfulness and unfaithfulness that is meant to spur us on for faithfulness today and the future. It's, it's supposed to give us hope. But despite how great it sounds, Chronicles has gotten a bad rep in the church. Um, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm embarrassed to tell you this story, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. Early on in my marriage, Debbie couldn't sleep one night and she said, could you read to me? I just need something that's going to help me sleep. And we had had this commentary in college we were given. It was called the Bible Knowledge Commentary. Some of you know it. So I went to the book of Chronicles and I read from her the introduction and authorship and background of Chronicles because I thought, this has got to help her fall asleep. I'm ashamed to say that because over the years, what I've discovered is this book that I thought makes people fall asleep is meant to wake up the church. It's supposed to revive the church. It's supposed to be, as 2 Chronicles 7 said, a way for us to be renewed through humbling ourselves, seeking God's face, prayer, turning from our wicked ways. And that's why right now we're going to be in 2 Chronicles 12, because that humbling of ourselves from 2 Chronicles 7, what we see in chapter 12 is how that's lived out in a story, through the story of Rehoboam. So, Rehoboam is introduced to us, if, you, if you're in your Bibles, 2 Chronicles 9, at the end, verse 31, we're introduced to Rehoboam. He's the son of Solomon. Solomon was the king of Israel, and it was when Israel was at the height of its success, but then due to him walking away from God, the country started to crumble. During the time that Rehoboam was leading, the kingdom was divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Through all this political conflict, Rehoboam was now the first king of the southern kingdom of Judah. It's where Jerusalem was. Despite all this conflict, when you get to verse 1 of chapter 12, which is the chapter that Adam was reading, things don't actually seem that bad, despite all the conflict, for Rehoboam. It says in verse 1 that he was established, his rule was established, and he was strong. We learn later that he was only about 41 years old at the time. So in our modern-day language, we might say that Rehoboam was a successful young politician. Now, if when you think in your head of a successful young politician, does the word humility typically come to mind? Would you use that word to describe them? They must be humble. No, we usually don't think of that word. The word humble appears four times in this chapter, chapter 12, but it doesn't once appear at this point in the story. Now, shouldn't he be though? Like, I thought people were humbled by their success. Ever listen to the Oscars and People always receive an award, and then the first thing they say is, I'm humbled by, by this award. 
Um, that's not true for Rehoboam. And I was reading an article recently about this phenomenon of success humbling us. And it was from The Atlantic. And this is what the, the author, Matthew Hudson, says. He says, winning an award is about the least humbling thing in the world. And yet when people receive an Oscar or some other illustrious honor, they often say that they feel humbled. Really, what winners feel is immense pride and immense fear of being seen as prideful. And so they cover for it by saying they feel the exact opposite, humility. Whether you agree with that or not, I tend to, but whether you agree with that or not, one thing we know about Rehoboam here is he was not humbled by his success. Instead, his success was deceiving. See, we're going to see three reasons in this passage why it's so important that we be humble if renewal's to come about. And the first one is this, that our success can deceive us. Our success can be deceiving. Why do I say that that's what was happening to Rehoboam? Because at the height of his success, when he should have been thanking God, like Adam was calling us to do, thanking God for all his success, look what he was doing. In verse 1, it says, he abandoned the law of the Lord. What did that look like? 1 Kings 14, a parallel passage says, he began worshiping other gods. To the point where in verse 2, it says that he was unfaithful to the Lord. He had let his success deceive him into thinking, there was no need for renewal in my life. I'm doing really well. I'm a successful young politician. My rule is established. I'm strong, young, and healthy. I must be spiritually okay. So he didn't think he needed renewal, and he surely didn't think he had to humble himself. This danger of our success deceiving us for where we're actually at spiritually can happen to any of us today. It can happen in our churches I was listening to a talk recently by Tim Keller talking to a a group of young seminarians preparing for pastoral ministry. And he warned them about how deceiving success, even success in their ministry could be. And this is what he says. He says, the danger is that you lose the difference between your outer life and your inner life. Your prayer life might be terrible. Your relationship with your spouse might be awful. You might be giving into sexual fantasies. And then you use your spiritual gifts. And people say, you've changed my life. And you feel like, I'm not so bad. And how often can that happen in our own lives where we're in this church and God's using us and he's blessed us with certain gifts and people are, you know, receiving those gifts and appreciative of you here. And what you do is you confuse the reality of spiritual gifting with the reality of spiritual fruit. What's spiritual fruit? Well, Paul says in Galatians 5, things like love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, all those things. And we can be deceived by the success of our spiritual gifting from seeing the lack of spiritual fruit in our lives. This doesn't just happen in the church. It can happen in any area of our life. Think about an area of success in your life that might lead you to think, I'm, I'm doing okay. You know, I, I think I'm a good parent. My kids are getting good grades. They're really talented. I must be doing okay. I've got a lot of money in the bank. The Lord has really blessed my finances. I must be doing something right. Look how successful I am in my job. I got promoted. I'm really good at my work. I must be okay. Or if you're in school, I'm I'm really popular. People really like me at school. There's a lot of people who like me. On social media, I get a lot of likes, have a lot of followers. As American Christians, we can have so many good things happening, so many material blessings. 
that it deceives us into thinking that we're doing okay internally. But our success can be deceiving. So my hope this morning is that you might think, what are those areas of success for you as a Western American Christian that sometimes leads you to just think, we don't, re- we don't need renewal. We're doing okay. We're just, we must have such good lives because God's rewarding us for our faithfulness. But Rehoboam's good life was not a reward for his faithfulness. It actually became the thing that deceived him into going down a really dark road. So the first reason we need to humble ourselves to experience renewal is that our success can actually be deceiving. The second reason to humble ourselves is because humility is the first step towards change. It's the first step towards any real significant change. Go to verse 1, back with me in chapter 12. It says in verse 1 that he was um, uh, abandoned the law of the Lord, right? Rehoboam did. In verse 2, as I said, he was unfaithful to the Lord. Things are bad. Go down with me to verse 6, though. In verse 6, it says, Rehoboam now acknowledges the Lord is righteous. He's basically saying, the Lord is in the right. I am in the wrong. What happened between verses 1 and 2 and verse 6? What led him to this place where he said, the Lord is in the right. I am in the wrong. Well, in verse 5, it says that he and his fellow leaders of Israel, they humbled themselves. Again, this word appears four times throughout this passage. In verses 5 through 12, humbled themselves appears four times. And it appears to be the first step towards meaningful change that we'll look at in a moment. And it kind of fits with what we saw in Second Chronicles 7. Remember, if my people will humble themselves. The first thing that we're told to do if renewal is supposed to happen. Why is it that humbling ourselves is this initial first step to change? Well, just think about it. Unless we get to a place where we say, what we've been doing in life hasn't been working, then we're not really going to be motivated to do something else and try something different. That's why it's so important that we humble, humble ourselves and say, something's off. I've, I've been making some wrong decisions here. Keith pointed out last week and kind of introing today and what we're talking about, this is the very things that people in Alcohol, Alcoholics Anonymous, AA, know to be true. What's the first step in AA? We admitted we were powerless over alcohol. That our lives had become unmanageable. Humility says, I've come to the end of myself and I've realized I need more than myself if change is going to happen. Something else needs to happen. So if we're to experience renewal as a church, it has to start with us humbling ourselves, which raises the question, how do we get to a place where we humble ourselves? How do we cultivate that virtue of humility? Well, we're going to see in this passage that it basically can come through one of two ways, and I'll call them these ways, the hard way or the easy way. Two ways to be humbled. First, let's look at the hard way. The hard way is the way of consequences. Go back to, with me to verse 2. It says that because they had been unfaithful to the Lord, God sends Shishak, king of Egypt, to make warfare on Jerusalem. And then in verse 5, Shemaiah, the prophet, tells Rehoboam, look what it says, thus says the Lord, you have abandoned me, and so I have abandoned you. The very thing that God told them would happen in Deuteronomy 27, 28. 
when he says, if you obey me, there's blessing. If you disobey, there's cursing. Rehoboam had to learn the hard way. He wasn't going to humble himself ahead of time, learning from God's word. He had to learn through his consequences of realizing this isn't working. Now, he humbles himself. This is what happens in verse 6. And things begin to change. Look at verse 7. After he humbles himself, the Lord grants some deliverance. Verse 12 then, skip down. The Lord does not make a complete destruction. Once humility happens as a first step towards change, things start to let up. God begins to mercifully take his foot off the brakes in his judgment on them. But he still realizes, and this is actually a gracious thing, that Rehoboam really does need to learn from his consequences if he's going to be humbled. And so what does he do? In verse 8, the Lord allows him to see the difference between what it was like to live under the rule of Yahweh, the Lord, and what it's like to live under the rule of Shishak. And then in verses 9 through 11, he even allows Shishak to take all the treasures that had been amassed under the rule of Solomon and to remove them. So he gets a huge education, Rehoboam does, in the hard way of being humbled. He sees all the consequences that come about of not being faithful to the Lord. And some of us, we should probably say all of us, have at times only been humbled by God, motivated to change something through learning the hard way. What are some examples? Pornography. How many times have people, you know, we know this isn't something that's going to be helpful or healthy, but it's only through the consequences of seeing it impact our thought life seeing it impact our marriages, seeing it impact our relationship with God. All those consequences are finally the way people humble themselves and saying, I've got to make a change. Or workaholism. We know we're making work an idol, but we don't realize it until we see it's damaged our relationship with our kids, our relationship with our spouse, the time we have with God. Or gossip. We know we shouldn't be talking about other people, but we don't really, are, we're not really humbled into that realization until someone finds out we've been talking about them. And then that relationship is ruined. And we say, oh, maybe I should have been thinking about this differently. Those are all ways that we only learn and are humbled by the hard way. Now, God is gracious. He forgives us. And he's gracious in bringing us to that place where we were humbled because then renewal can happen. But there is another way besides the hard way that's available to us to be humbled. And we see it in this passage. We keep going back to the beginning. But notice in verse 1, in the midst of his success, it says that Rehoboam, again, abandoned the law of the Lord. That meant he didn't have to abandon it. What would have happened if he had listened to the law of the Lord? if he had heard the warnings of Deuteronomy 27, 28, if he had even heeded the warnings of the Ten Commandments, what does Exodus 23, when the Ten Commandments say? You shall have no other gods before me. If he had listened to that, think of how much grief he would have saved himself in his life. All that we just painstakingly went through, all those consequences he felt. One I think really eye-opening passage for me in this regard is in Proverbs. Solomon, the author, before things went downhill, 
he's writing, it's, he refers it many times in it to my sons. He's saying, listen to these warnings. Listen to this wisdom I want to give you ahead of time. And he writes about what happens when people fall into adultery after not listening the first time and being humbled the first time and then have to deal with the consequences. He writes, at the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and your body are spent. You will say how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ear to my instructors. And I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. God's word lovingly gives us ways to be humbled the easy way instead of just the hard way by consequences. And this is one of the reasons why we as a church have different ministries to help you get into scripture corporately and privately. We have our women's Bible study, which is a way for women to be getting into God's word. We have our men's discipleship group trying to help guys develop daily patterns of being in scripture, among other things. We have our discovery classes, which is a way to give you further teaching about Scripture so you'll be motivated to get into it more throughout the week. These are ways that we can learn the easy way. And again, I don't want to make this something that condemns you. All of us have learned the hard way at times, right? And no matter what we have done, God and His Jesus' death on the cross has covered us for past sins. And he gives us a way through humbling ourselves to him to begin heading in a new direction. But we are offered here this realization that if change is going to happen in our life, we have to humble ourselves. That's the first step. And it can either happen the easy way or the hard way. So what have we learned so far? What we've learned is humility is essential to renewal for a couple different reasons. First, because our success can be deceiving. We need to be able to look past that, where we need renewal and be humble. And then second, humility is so necessary because it's actually the first necessary step to change. But there's a third and final reason why humility is so vital to renewal, and it's this. Renewal cannot happen in our own strength. Renewal can't happen in our own strength. If we go back to Second Chronicles 7, where we opened, and we looked at those four practices, humbling ourselves, seeking God's face, praying, turning from our wicked ways, it's interesting to see that Rehoboam did the first. He humbled himself. But it still didn't lead to renewal for him or for his people. How do I know that? Look with me at verse 13. Verse 13 of chapter 12, it says, So King Rehoboam grew strong in Jerusalem and reigned. He was back to being really strong again trying to reign in his own strength, just as he had at the beginning of this story. But then what was the outcome? Verse 14, and he did evil. Why did he do evil? He humbled himself. Wasn't that supposed to lead to renewal? Well, one thing he didn't do, as Second Chronicles 7 said to do, he didn't seek the Lord's face. Read the rest of verse 14. And he did evil. Why? For he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. He didn't continue that process. He humbled himself, but then he went right back into being disobedient. I want to take a moment just to, to make a contrast or a comparison. We could call it the tale of two kings. I want to look at Rehoboam and compare him to Jesus. King Rehoboam, what did he do? And the height of his success, rather than humbling himself, he had to learn it the hard way. 
He humbled himself, but never sought the Lord's face, never became obedient. And he suffered for it, and his whole nation suffered for it. Contrast that with what Paul says about Jesus. The king who, being found in human form, he humbled himself just like Rehoboam, but then what happened? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why do I compare these two? Because there's such a stark difference between living out of the strength of Rehoboam, human strength, trying to muster up enough to change themselves, like I do with my dumb New Year's resolutions that never go anywhere. We try ourselves to live out of our strength and our willpower and bring about change. But it can't happen unless we have the power of Jesus, the power of one who at the height of success humbles himself willingly to the plan of the Father. And then not does, doesn't just humble himself to die for us, but then becomes obedient even to the point of suffering for us. We are only saved because of the power of Jesus, the power that led Jesus to take on all our sin, all the evil of the world, all the evil of the dark powers, and to give his life for us. It's only through his power that we can be saved. And it's also therefore true that it's only by his power that he gives us through the Holy Spirit that we can be renewed. Therefore, if we're going to experience renewal as a church, it can't just stop at humility. It must continue to seeking the face of Jesus, that through his strength and his power, we might be revived and changed as a church. Which begs the question, how do we seek the face of God? What does that look like? Well, that's the exact thing we're going to be looking at in our next sermon in this series. It'll be in two weeks. Next week, we're going to be talking about the Lord's Supper and celebrating that. But for today, I hope that all of us as a church are led to really come before God, humble ourselves before him, and take seriously the fact that we may have at times be deceiving ourselves by our success, to look past that success and say, where is it, God, that you want to see renewal and revival in my life? That we would realize this is the first and necessary step to change. And that we would get deeper into Scripture so that we can humble ourselves now rather than after the consequences have been felt of not doing so. But that in all this, humbling ourselves doesn't mean we're just going to get stronger in ourselves, live out of Rehoboam strength, but that we would begin to seek the face of Jesus because it's only by his power that any of this can be possible. Let's pray. Father, we confess that there are areas of our life that need renewal, that need change. And in our own strength, we just can't do it. So before you right now, we are telling you that we want to humble ourselves and recognize that we do as individuals, we do as Grace Community Church, need renewal. And we want you to change us by your power. We know we can't control this. This is no formula. We just want to humble ourselves and seek your face more and see what you do in response. Thank you for how you graciously walk with us, teaching us through scripture, teaching us through consequences to humble ourselves so that we can come to the end of ourselves and meet you face to face. Thank you for all the ways you love us and seek to work in our church not just for our sake, 
but for the sake of the whole world, that we would be your representatives of your grace and your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.